Hey everybody, it is Super Bowl Sunday weekend. And guys, this is the location. This is the geographic location of the Super Bowl. It is Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas, Nevada. Yes, and it features the matchup that we have all been waiting for. It is the Kansas City Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes. Are you cheering for him? Or are you cheering for the San Francisco 49ers and Brock Purdy, Iowa State University, Mr. Irrelevant Super Bowl candidate Brock Purdy? Which one are you cheering for? I don't know. That's the matchup everybody's been waiting for. And then there's the next matchup, which everybody's been waiting for, and that is Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey, because that's what we're really focused on. Some of you are like, no, I'm not. I don't care about Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. You know, there's been you know, some NFL fans, some people that are like a little grumbly about this. Like, we see too much of her and so forth. Here's the thing, guys. I got to tell you about this. It's not just a competition. The Super Bowl and all of the NFL is about an entertainment business. It's about making money, right? They don't just do this for fun. They do this as a business enterprise. And let me tell you, Taylor Swift is bank. She is bank. Now, some people have complained how much they've shown her in the last three games of Kansas City's drive to the Super Bowl. I, I, I studied up on this and I found that Taylor Swift in nine hours of the last three games, a total of nine hours, has been on camera for 150 seconds. That's all, 150 seconds. They've also computed that for the Kansas City Chiefs and the National Football League, in that same period of time, she has generated for the NFL and the Kansas City Chiefs $331.5 million. So let me tell you something. If you divide that, how much is that like hourly wage? It's $2.2 million per second for the National Football League and Kansas City Chiefs. And let me tell you something. When you see her during the Super Bowl, just every second she's on there thinking, there's 2.2 million, there's 2.2 million, there's 2.2 million. That's what this is about, guys. No matter who you're for, it is an entertainment business. And I hope that, you know, whatever God wants for them, that will happen in their lives. It may not last. We'll see. But for now, the National Football League is going to make the very most of this matchup. But there's another matchup, and that's a football game getting played during uh, Taylor Swift's visit to Las Vegas. And that's a, that's a pretty big matchup, too. And the opponents are going to clash there. But romance or love can break out even in the midst of all this clashing. And I want to take you from that location, Allegiant Stadium, that geographic location, to another geographic location. And today we're going to talk about Jacob's Well, which is in the biblical, spiritual geographic location of Samaria in ancient Israel. And this was also a site, Jacob's Well was a site of clashing. But in the midst of clashing, broke out God's love. Broke out the love of Jesus Christ for someone who a lot of people had written off. A lot of people didn't love. In fact, a lot of people hated. 
the woman that we will meet here and the people that she represents, the Samaritans, were the last among many Jewish people to be considered lovable. So we're going to look at this, the last, the least, the lost, the left out, and Jesus' heart for them. And that means Jesus has a heart for me. And Jesus has a heart for you. And Jesus has a heart for the last, the lost, the least, the left out. And that means Jesus has a heart for the people around you. So this is about the heart of Jesus. This Jacob's well is a spiritual geographic location. Because we said all along, there were not just spiritual you know, souls, but that we inhabit physical bodies and physical bodies meet up in spiritual ways in physical geographical locations. That's what we're calling this series Spiritual Geographic. It's a spiritual geography. And today our spiritual geography takes us to Jacob's well. Jacob's well is only mentioned one time in the entire Bible. Jacob and the people of Jacob, also called the people of Israel, Jacob Israel, same name, um, are mentioned, of course, thousands of times. So let's come to this together. And what I want you to take away from this place is that God meets us in places, in unexpected places. God meets us sometimes in places where um, we would least think him to meet us. And we come to the Gospel of John, chapter 4, where Jesus meets the most unlikely person in an unlikely geographic location. He can do that for you. He can do that for the people around you. He can do that for the least, the last, the lost, the left out, and for people that maybe we don't even think we want to have anything to do with. But God's calling us to reach out to them as well. So let's go to the spiritual geographic location because this Jacob's well is a place to quench your thirst. It is a place to quench the thirst of every human soul because it is that location that we can meet Jesus Christ. Let's look at John chapter 4. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of their day. Today we think of them as no good. They're terrible. They're pharisaical. Of course, we have a title for them. But in their day, they're the most highly respected group. Everybody looked up to them. They're not the bad guys. They're not wearing the black hats. They're not the villains. They're the heroes of first century Israel. But Jesus confronted them because they had lost their way spiritually. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard through the spiritual grapevine of Israel that he, Jesus, was making and baptizing more disciples than, than John. So John the baptizer, who prepared the way for Jesus, we looked at that a few weeks ago at the Jordan River. John actually says he's greater, he's going to be much more important. I baptize you with water, he baptized you with the Holy Spirit. So here we, Jesus is now exceeding those numbers being baptized than John the Baptist ever saw. Although he says Jesus himself didn't baptize, but his disciples were. So now Jesus is gaining traction spiritually. Jesus is gaining notoriety, popularity. Jesus is doing this. And when the Pharisees heard this, they were very concerned because they were already concerned about John the baptizer because he had confronted them. Now they're really concerned because Jesus is growing more and more well-known. So when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard, he says, okay, 
I got to leave Judea. He leaves their stronghold and he goes again. He went again to Galilee, which is where he's from. So he returns to Galilee. It says he had to travel through Samaria. Now, Samaria was the home of the Samaritans. They were people amongst the people of Israel, but they were looked down upon because centuries earlier, the Assyrians had moved into their land, had conquered Israel and had intermarried a lot with people in Israel, particularly in this area of Israel. So let's look at a map here if we can. All right. So and I'm going to take out my little marker here um, that we can use together. All right. Um, So Jesus is down here in this general vicinity down here. uh, And he is he's meeting up with people. And then he hears that the uh, Pharisees hear that he's getting popular. So he's going to relocate to his area up here at Galilee, Nazareth. That's where he's from. Right. So you go through and this is all of this here. We'll take a look here. All of this area is Samaria. Did you notice here? Samaria right there. This whole region is Samaria. Now, many pious people of Israel and Samaritans were looked down upon because they'd intermarried with those Assyrian centuries before and they were looked as less than kind of half breeds, if you will, less than they'd established their own religious traditions separate from some of the people of, of uh, Israel. They were on different pages about worship locations, temples and so forth, and some of their religious beliefs. So a lot of the people of Israel looked down upon them, viewed them as heretics, as compromisers, etc. And so but you go from where Jesus is to up here, you go what what direction you go this direction, right? Only there are a lot of people who said, no, 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 we're going to go around Samaria. We're not going to contaminate ourselves. So they actually would choose to go this way, this route around on the other side of the Jordan River around them and avoid it altogether. But there were some who just said, no, we'll just go take the direct route. So they just go straight through. And Jesus says had to. He had to go through Samaria from point A to point B, had to go through Samaria, even though a lot of people didn't. He had to. Why? Well, it is the most direct route, but also because he had a divine appointment that his father had set up for him to connect with a single individual in Samaria. That's the reason he came to this place. This was God's initiative. So that gives you the geography. This is the spiritual geographic that we're talking about. All right. You're with me on on all this. Okay, here we go. Now back to the scriptures. Jesus said he had to go through Samaria. He wasn't going to just debate with the Pharisees because they wanted to. Hey, what are you doing? He said, no, I got more important thing to do. Jesus was not interested in debating church stuff spiritual minutia, theological nonsense with people that were opposed to him. Insiders. He had to do more important things. He had to go to Samaria to meet up with a specific person that we're going to meet in just a few moments. Here's the first principle. People are longing, spiritually longing to 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 have their thirst quenched. And if we're to be effective, and we're to know the heart of God, then here's the first principle we learn here. We're going to choose conversation over polarization. 
Jesus could have remained down in Judea and just gone on years debating the Pharisees. He's not going to do that because reaching outsiders to Jesus is more important than debating insiders. Guys, this, there's some, an important spiritual principle for us in the 21st century. Choose conversation over polarization. You and I can waste our lives, our entire lives, just debating with people, insiders, spiritual fine points, biblical minutia. I'm not talking about the central truths of the faith. I'm talking about things that Christians have disagreed with for centuries. We can talk about all this. We can get wrapped up in all sorts of controversies of the day that will not be known now 10 years from now or 100 years from now. Or we can stay centered on gospel conversations. Or we can go to the ends of the spectrum and find reasons to fight people. Here's the, a big principle from today's scripture. Do what Jesus did. Choose conversation over polarization, reaching outsiders more important than debating insiders on minute points. Even if they seem important in the moment. I'm sure the Pharisees, this seemed like super, super important. But he says, nope, got more important thing to do. I got people I need to reach. Conversations I need to have. So now we go to verse 5. And to hear the rest of our uh, passage that we're going to look at today, I, I want us to listen to Dave Stotts with Drive Through History as he brings the scripture to us. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus has this meeting, this divine encounter uh, with this Samaritan woman. He came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob has given his son Joseph. So Jacob was the patriarch, also named Israel, means he wrestles with God. Jacob wrestled with God. He got the name Israel. Uh, and he was the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And this particular area was given to his son Joseph, we read about in Genesis. So this goes back way back, like almost 2,000 years before Jesus. At least 1,700, 1,800 years before Jesus. And he goes to that very location. Jacob's well was there. Wow. This well is, at the time of Jesus, already 1,800 years old. It was well established. Everybody knew this is the well that Jacob dug for his son, and it was a famous location. It was incredibly important. 
and he stopped at this well. And it says, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, here we get a, an understanding of the humanity of Jesus. He wasn't just God floating out around in, in immense power, but he took on our humanity. And he's tired because it's a, it's a route. I showed you the map. It's a long way back to Galilee. It's, it's, uh, it's many days walk. He sat down at the well. This is, this is a moment. It's a spiritual geographic moment. The Bible could have just given us principles, but instead it says, take time to learn these places. Samaria, Sychar, Jacob gave to Joseph. Jacob's well was there. He sat down at the well. It was noon. This was a gathering place for the people because this is where they drew water. And it was a historic place because Jacob had established this well 1,800 years earlier. And it tells us the exact time. It was about the noon hour. And Jesus is going to meet up with one person there. And here's a principle, just a simple one. Meet community people in community places. We are called to interact with people just in everyday life, in community places, in community people. So at our shopping places, at restaurants, at, 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 at places where community people meet, mingle, we are to mingle with them. This is why Valley Church has a community center. We meet community people in community places and we've established a place that people can come to. Even our church building is a community place. Uh, we, have just, we have attempted over these last 23 years since year 2000 to make our church building and our community center a place where the community can gather. We have many community events, obviously at the community center, but even at our church building. And what I want to say for you is you don't have to wait for the perfect moment. Just show up in community places and be open to the conversations that God may have you to have with people, to, be, to build friendships with people, to hear their stories, to hear their hurts, to the last, the least, the lost, the left out. Go to these places. Have block parties this summer. Serve like you did, night to shine. We've got a day coming up at our community center, Valley Community Center, called Leap Day. Leap Day is at the end of the month of February. It is an extra day on our calendar. You don't have anything planned for the last day because it's an extra day this year anyway. So we plan a whole Leap Day activities, just dozens and dozens of activities for all ages, all free. It's amazing. You'll want to check that out. Kids activities, adult activities, uh, black light, uh, volleyball games at night. I just get all sorts of crazy stuff, all free, all for the community, food, drink, activities, Leap day, mark it on the calendar. It's a Thursday, February 29th. That's a great day for you not only to show up, but to meet community people at a community place and to invite somebody. Check this out. We'll say more about it in days to come, but check it out. And there he meets, verse 7, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. I think it's more of a form of a question. Give me a drink. Would you give me a drink? Thirsty. That's the deep theological reason for Jesus' question. Why did he say, give me a drink? Because he was thirsty. Verse 8, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. So they'd left him and he's there by himself and he's alone now. 
And she's shocked by this conversation. She says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Because Jews do not associate with Samaritans. They keep their distance. So he was breaking all sorts of barriers here. A man talking with a woman in public, which wasn't done, uh, in especially if you're a rabbi, you just didn't do that. And there was definitely a wall there. And it's a Samaritan and a, and a Jewish man is reaching out to a Samaritan. And that is also not done. But Jesus doesn't care about those cultural conventions. He's willing to cross all sorts of boundaries, ethnicities, gender, all these sorts of things to reach people, to love people. She comes at noon. She felt alienated from the regular crowd. We know a little bit of her story already. And they would not share utensils, the Samaritans and Jewish people. The Pharisees had taught, no, 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 you can't do that. You'll get cooties from them. Stay away. Remember cooties? No, we, we don't share utensils with them. And he's asking her for a drink of water. I mean, so many rules, human rules, Jesus is violating here because he loves people. She's startled, she's shocked, maybe a little suspicious. By the way, as we reach out to our neighbors, they're suspicious of our motives too. It's okay. Let them be suspicious. Disprove their prejudices. In spite of all of her feelings and all the baggage that she has, Jesus reaches out to her and here's the third principle. Be a bridge builder. Instead of picking fights, instead of looking for reasons why you can't talk with these people, instead of talking about, uh, you know, well, I can't talk with you because you're on the wrong side. Be a bridge builder. Don't wait for the perfect moment. Just start conversations with people. Be friends with people. That's what Jesus did here. And he actually asked her for something. Give me a drink of water. Would you be willing to do that? He, he breaks the ice at Jacob's well. And then Jesus does something very unusual. He appeals to her curiosity. Verse 10. Jesus answered when she was pushing back, why are you even associating with me, a woman, a Samaritan, sharing utensils? Why? If you, he says, you knew the gift of God, and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him, and he would give you living water. Jesus doesn't care about the issues between Jews and Samaritan. Rather, he has compassion on his neighbor. The last, the least, the lost, the left out. And the woman, when he makes this cryptic comment about living water, has two problems with this statement. She says, sir, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? You can't even draw water. How are you going to get living water? Whatever that is. And she says, verse 12, I love this statement. You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Now, guys, when we see that, you know, we're like, oh, nice. Jacob, you know, met there, dug the well, had this well with his sons, fed the livestock here, drank from this well. And you're thinking, that's, that's really nice. No, 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 guys. He's the father of the country. For, for us as Americans, this is like George Washington's well. Only he's not only the, the, the national leader, he's actually the physical father of his nation. The spiritual father of the nation. And this is where he drank from. 
You can go to this place. This is already, it has 18 centuries of history already at this time, by this moment. And she says, you got better water than Jacob? You got more to give me than the father of our nation? Who are you? You don't even have a bucket. And you're greater than the father of our nation, huh? You're going to give me something? I mean, she's a little jaded, a little suspicious. Maybe she doesn't understand what this guy she's never met is talking to her about this living water. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. In other words, yes, I am greater than Jacob. Because his water is just ordinary water. What I give, the water I give, lasts forever. Whoever drinks from the water that I give, will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I give him will become a well of water, well of water springing up in him or her for eternal life. So he's going to take it to a whole new level. She's only thinking physical geography. He's talking spiritual geographic. I got something for you that's better than just great water from Jacob's well. I got living water from my well. And it'll quench your thirst. Everything your soul longs for is right here for you. All people that you will ever meet, including yourself, you're searching for something. You're searching for more. You have a thirst in your soul. And Jesus says, come to me and drink. I'm ready to give to you. And if you know Jesus, you have everything you will ever need. You will never thirst again because what he gives to us is abundant, free, and everlasting water. So he reaches out to her. Here's the fourth principle. We meet on common ground at Jacob's Well in ordinary places, community people in community places. We meet where everybody gathers. We associate with people. We build bridges to people. But then we move toward new territory. We drop clues. We begin to suggest things that are out of the ordinary, that are like wetting people's appetite for more. So we're learning something from Jesus here, that we can do better, that we can meet people on their common ground, meet people where they are, and then begin to drop clues of something deeper and more significant that we ourselves have discovered. You know, this well is amazing, but there's another well that I've discovered. And you can do that without being weird. And you can do that without being nasty. You can do that by just building bridges and moving slowly, gently, or however rapidly God allows you to, into new territory. She says, sir, the, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come here drawing water all the time. I'd like some. I'd like some of this water. She still thinks we're talking physical geography, water, well. She wants to save herself the physical burden of having to come back to this and he, she, he says, okay, okay, I'll tell you what, go call your husband and come back here and then I'll explain it. So she asks for living water and Jesus drops all the figurative language, goes to the real issues of life, goes to an area of great need in her life, of great hurt in her life. It's going to get messy. It's going to get strange. And the truth begins to open up her heart and pierce her conscience like an arrow. She answered, I don't have a husband. She doesn't volunteer a whole lot here. Just a very short answer. I don't have a husband. 
Jesus said, you have correctly said, I don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. I love Jesus here because very gentle. And we don't know all the backstory of why she had five husbands. We don't know if she had just gone to the matrimonial well five times and they'd left her or abused her or she had cheated on. We don't know any of the story. They died. We don't, we don't know that five times she's been married. And Jesus doesn't dredge all that up at this moment, but he does speak to her and he goes, and the person you're with right now is not your husband. You're living with him, but you're not husband. He doesn't castigate her. The Pharisees would have just, you know, not ever spoken to her. And if they had speak, spoken to her, it would have just been words of absolute criticism and uh, judgment and condemnation. Jesus went there. She'd gone to the matrimonial well five times. Each time she's come up empty and now she's gone to a sixth man. And she didn't even marry him or he wouldn't marry her. Verse 19, sir, when she hears this, she says, I see that you're a prophet. We don't know if this is like, wow, I'm amazed you knew that. Or if she's like, oh, you're going to preach at me. Either is possible. He knows, but she certainly senses now that he knows her story. This is quite an admission, especially from a Samaritan, to call a Jewish man your prophet. Already she's beginning to build a little bit of a bridge to him. She know, you know all about me, but you still want to talk to me. Here's the fifth principle. Be ready for the messy and the complicated. You get involved in people's lives. It's so enriching, so amazing. Wells of water springing up within you. But I'm telling you guys, it gets messy and gets complicated. There's hurt, there's pain, there's misery, there's misunderstanding, there's church bad church experiences, bad religious experiences. This woman is representative of all of us. We've all had our mess and complications, and the people you meet do too. You have them, I have them, all God's people, and all people that are not yet God's people have them. And then she says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. Shechem, Sychar, Mount Gerizim. That's where we worship. You Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. So she's face to face with a prophet for the first time. She feels like, oh, yeah, yeah, let's get religious. So she drops the literal language, goes religious and spiritual. Like many people we meet, she has little knowledge about the Bible. She's like, well, yeah, here's what I've heard. She mentions a controversy. This happens to me and probably to you all the time. You kind of wander into the biblical conversations and suddenly they go off on some tangent side point about politics or about controversies. Not that that would ever happen to our polarized culture, right? Of course. Can I give us a little phrase? When that happens, she then appeals to him on a popular and controversial topic that is totally outward. And our fathers said this. What do your fathers say about that? She's almost picking a fight. Jesus doesn't fight her. She almost picks one and he doesn't fight her. Here, here's my spiritual counsel. Don't take the bait. Don't take the bait. Resist that impulse within you 
to fight fire with fire, to fire back on the latest and the most recent controversy, what's in the news. This is what was in the news then, the Samaritans and Jews fighting about where to worship. That was the topic of the day. It, if you had an election, people would have been on separate sides of it, and that's what they want to talk about. And he's like, there's 21, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. He says, you Samaritans worship what you don't know. They, they didn't have an understanding. We worship what we do know, representing the people of Israel, because salvation is from the Jews. He identifies with his own people, and he says, this is the root of salvation. It comes through the people of God, the Jews. But, he says, that's ancient history, literally. But an hour is coming and is now here, because I'm here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. It's not about physical geography. It's about spiritual geography. It's, yeah, we meet at the well, a physical well, but we're talking about a spiritual well. And he uses this location to get to a different topic. It's not about so much about where you worship, the location. It's about whom you worship and how you worship. Worship in spirit and in truth. Because God looks, the Father looks on, on, on the heart, not on the outward forms, not on the emotion, not on the surroundings, but on the heart. Here's the sixth principle. Let's help people. Let's help explorers, wanderers, even skeptics move from the edges of the conversation and the current contemporary topics that we want to fight people about and just move them from the edges to the heart of the matter. What really matters to this person is not their party. What really matters ultimately is not their views on this legislation. What really matters to people is not their take on the Chiefs and the 49ers. <laughs> what really matters is who do they worship and what's within their hearts. She said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who's called Christ. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. I'm just longing for the Messiah to come and he'll straighten this whole mess out. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. I'm the Messiah you're waiting for. Verse, uh, principle number seven, when the opportunity knocks, answer the door. When she brought it up, he was ready with an answer. Are we, if people actually go there spiritually and they, they show us a little bit of their hearts or their longing for spiritual things, do, are we willing to engage them in conversation and say, well, here we go. You want to talk about that? Let's talk about that. And not fight them over all this other stuff, but say, hey, let's talk about your heart. What you're longing for, what your soul thirsts for. Jesus. Just then his disciples arrived and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Because that wasn't allowed. Culturally, conventional wisdom. Yet no one said, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? The woman left her water jar, went into the town and told the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. I, I, we're getting a summary of the conversation here that Jesus had with this woman. But I think there's an extended conversation where they talked about 
the hurts of our past and the difficulties and the challenges. And we're just getting the Cliff's Notes version of this. But there was something there. And he says, we talked and he told me everything I ever did. He knows me and he accepts me. He reaches out to me. She says, could this be the Messiah? He knows me. He accepts me. He, is this the one who came to save us? Then they left the town and made their way to him. She leaves her water bar, jar behind. The whole world looks different to her. Everyday stuff doesn't seem all that important anymore. And that very day, she becomes a changed woman. She starts talking. She becomes a missionary to the people of Samaria. She starts her own spiritual conversations. She's never been to the Samaria Theological Seminary. But she knows her story. And she knows the one who knows her story. And she tells her neighbors, I don't know much, but he knows everything about me. And I wish you'd meet him too. Eighth principle is tell your story with enthusiasm. Hey, come and, come and meet someone who told me everything I ever did and still loved and forgave me. Can you do that? Can you, with zeal and enthusiasm, with joy in your heart and on your face, get charged up about telling about Jesus who changed your life? Or maybe you're the Samaritan woman in this story and you're longing for that. And I'm telling you a story. Jesus can change you. He loves you so much. He, he will go to a cross for her and for you. He goes to the cross. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. They're all consumed with water and physical stuff. And Jesus, I have food to eat you don't even know about. The disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? What are we missing here? Way over their heads. They start looking around for hiding places around the well. Where, where, where's he hide the food? <laughs> My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you say there are still four more months and then comes a harvest? It's like last time. It's not harvest time. He says, wait, listen to you. What I'm telling you, open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for the harvest. He sees this town coming out to him and they look like the people he's longing to love and to reach. And he says, open your eyes. Harvest time isn't months away. Harvest time is now. Look at the people around you. See the people around you. Look at the spiritual thirst that is often expressed inappropriately by our neighbors, but it's still a spiritual longing. Here's the principle nine. Who do you see coming to your well? At your workplace, in your shopping place, at your community place. They're all around us. Who is coming to your well? Who's in your neighborhood that God wants you to touch, that wants you to reach out to? Who's at the well that you go to buy or get your bottled water? Who is it? Open your eyes, see them. Not as enemies, not as opponents, but as people longing, sometimes inappropriately, but longing and searching for the answers to life for their soul's deepest thirst. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the reaper, the sower and the reaper can rejoice together. This is a time for joy, guys. 
For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I tell you, you reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored and you've benefited from their labor. There's a whole linkage of people that have led to this moment in history and time. And now you get to see it all come true. And we're recipients of that as well. Everything that the Christians before us have come to brought us to this moment, Des Moines, Iowa, 2024, Super Bowl weekend, Everything that happens around us has a purpose and a meaning and a significance. And we're part of the story of God in our time. We're reaping now what other Christians for thousands of years have sown before us to this moment, our time. Are we going to step up? He's challenging them. Step up. Will you step up? Now, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified, he told me everything I ever did. Most all of us have our initial interest in Jesus through the changed life of another person. They said, okay, you gotta check this out. Come and see, Brandon talked about that. Her witness, the Samaritan woman's, was imperfect, incomplete, but effective nonetheless. And yours can be too. You don't have to have all the answers. Just tell your story with enthusiasm. It's not about your ability, it's about your availability. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. He says, would you, please don't go away. And he stayed there two days. He interrupted his plans to say, I got time for you. He's the savior of the world. He's only got three years, a thousand days maybe. But two of those thousand days were spent with the town folk there. Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said. Since we've heard for ourselves and know that this really is the savior of the world. Ultimately, you and I can't believe in Jesus through another person. You and I must come to him personally. We can hear the story of other people's stories, but we need our own story. Children and spouses and friends and boyfriends and girlfriends and grandchildren and neighbors and whoever. Tell them your story with enthusiasm and pray for God to work in their stories. We have to hear it for ourselves like these Samaritans. But once we hear it for ourselves, we want others to hear. He's not just my savior. He's the savior of the world. A lost, hurting, searching world, thirsty world. Let's do that. One woman here touch off a spiritual movement and look at the celebration that goes on 2,000 years later. You can still go to Jacob's well today. Still there. But, ja but God has Jacob's wells all around us. Our church building is a Jacob's well. Our community center is a Jacob's well. Your workplace can be a Jacob's well. Every place you go is a Jacob's well. And here's the last takeaway for today. There are lots of wells all around us and we meet people there at those wells and God meets us at our old wells. But you can't stay at an old well for a new life. You need living water. And on that day in history, Jesus met this woman. Let's watch her story from the chosen right now as they tell the story in a fresh way. Would you give me a drink? Did you hear me? 
bad, huh? What? You, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan, and a woman. I'm sorry. I should have said please. You know, it's not safe for you to be alone out here. Nor you. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the, the cool of the morning? Yeah, well, none of them will be seen with me, so I have to come at noon in the heat, as you have so kindly reminded me. Why won't they be seen with you? Long story. I, I'd still like a drink of water if you can spare it. Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah? And what do you say? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water. Would. Except that you have nothing to draw water with, and this is a deep well. Besides, what do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? Long story. But Jewish water is better than Samaritan water. Hmm? That's not what I said. Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well? Your water is better than his? I know, Jacob. And everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Wouldn't that be nice? The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. Prove it. First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. <laughs> oh, I see. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. No. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned. I'm not here to condemn you. I've made mistakes. Too many. But it's men like you who have made it impossible for me to do anything about it. How? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place for true worship. They say that because the temple is there. Yeah, exactly where we're not allowed. I'm here to break those barriers. And the time is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So, where am I supposed to go when I need God? I've never received anything from God, but I couldn't thank him even if I did. Anywhere. God is spirit, and the time is coming and is now here that it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from or what you've done. Do you believe what I'm telling you? 
until the Messiah comes and explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me. I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity who was excited to be married. But he wasn't a good man. He hurt you. And it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him because he was the only truly godly man you've been with. But you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know, but not by the Messiah. And you know these things because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon, just the heart. <laughs> you promised. I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ! <laughs> Hey, wait! Your water! You forgot your um. Papsi, your man, you told me everything I ever did! <laughs> Father in heaven, touch our hearts through this Gospel of John story. For some of us, we're, we're like that woman at the well. Maybe we're male or female, or maybe we're a child or young or old, but we have thirst in our souls and we need you, Jesus. Thank you that you speak to us and say, come and drink. And for all of us, Lord, help us to be one who meet people at the old wells, but don't stay there. Take them to a place where they can drink living water through you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. And everybody agreed and said, amen. Amen. God bless you all.